Happy Monday and welcome back to the Rocketeer Minute Podcast, the show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure film Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I am one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, vintage aircraft enthusiast, senior editor at the Experimental Aircraft Association in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And tonight, uh, Jim, we're looking at episode, uh, excuse me, minute number six, Careful What You Wish For. That's right, yeah, and this is, uh, we're still in that high-speed chase with uh, those beautifully crafted uh, Dodge and Fords uh, that are that are chasing each other up and down over hill and dale on the road from, uh, as we're finding out here in this minute, the road from Encino. So they're somewhere off the 101 and cruising through the valley just beyond the hills of Hollywood. And, you know, Jim, it occurs to me that the title of uh, of this minute, Careful What You Wish For, uh, could be a nice tagline for our entire podcast, for anybody who, who was looking forward to this. Yeah, this is uh, you're you're going to be sitting through every every single loving loving minute of this movie. But Absolutely, it, but this is a labor of love, one hundred percent. And we're still in that very high energy uh, that that op- this opening scene that that goes on for about ten minutes. I mean, we're we're just we're thrown right into the middle of the action. We're watching uh, the FBI agents Fitz and Wooly chasing after the. Uh, uh, the bad guy. Well, we don't know what what they're why they're being chased, but right, no uh, spoilers. They do have uh, they, they do seem to be having machine guns, and they are shooting back at police cars and FBI. So we can assume they're the bad guys. Good old Lenny in the back of that that rumble seat far ahead, while uh, Wilmer is uh, piloting the getaway car. <laughs> right. We have some pretty good action there. I mean, it's a nice scene where they you know suddenly appear these gigantic slugs four four holes appear in the FBI car. Which I know it's a, I you know I know it's a show car and I know it's just built there, but it's just it's so sad seeing an, a, a beautiful oh, antique car getting smashed like that. Oh, I know it just it just hurts. It's a gorgeous car, and then like you said, the, the squibs going off, the slugs popping in. You know, you want to remind yourself, okay, they didn't just go and shoot up a real, you know, what at the time was what a. 50, 55-year-old car. Yeah, so. yeah, no, just gorgeous. And that that great uh, effect scene where uh, Wilmer's looking through the, the, the rearview mirror and then a big hunk of the rearview mirror disappears as a bullet creases through it and knocks a hole in his windshield. That's just a great a great little effect right. from ILM uh, there at uh, second 14. Quite a quite an action-packed <laughs> little moment. And I keep, I keep wondering if that's just a – it has to be a, a, a series of mats and composite films, but just that one little two-second thing. That, that's the level of detail that Joe Johnson got into. I mean, he, he, learned, he learned his craft at you know, helming uh, the, the second unit direction of, uh, of Empire Strikes Back, and it just really shows right. all the, the idea of how you can make a movie without making it look too much like special effects, at least for this part, because we haven't, we haven't gotten into the super special effects later on. Right. Well, and, and it's it's funny. We'll be talking about Joe Johnston, I'm sure, you know, every single episode. It's almost impossible to avoid. But there's hardly a minute in this movie that doesn't feel like uh, a love letter to the era. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. He's it, it, so good at, at capturing that detail and getting the cars right and getting the airplanes right. And uh, all these little uh, these little nuances, you know, the the Beeman's gum uh, we've talked about on the on the tail of the rudder, the GB, all that good stuff. It's just so rich. Yeah, yeah. And we we had been saying that these like this seems to be the first minute where there's nobody new. We've seen a lot of uh, you know a lot of introductions going on here, but the really the new introduction for this particular minute is the arrival of the authorized personnel only uh, mysterious case. 
which uh, right. beautifully, beautifully and carefully lettered. I mean, this is in the age before decals were a thing. So someone had, you know, <laughs> back in the 30s, someone would have had to have carefully, you know, stenciled that. The, the, uh, the classic scene that you, exactly. you'd see of someone holding a, you know, uh, holding a little stick while, while carefully applying gold leaf. Um, <laughs> right. And that, and that seems to be, you know, whoever whoever made the thing that's in that box must have had a lot of money to do that. So we'll, <laughs> right. we'll, we'll talk about that more later. I'm sure we'll figure that out. Yeah. So we we watch uh, Wilmer and Lenny uh, spill over the side of, uh, of the dirt road there uh, into the bean field. Right, and uh, and they start heading out, and uh, with uh, Wooly and Fitz close close behind, right, uh, and with uh, Lenny in that in that rumble seat in the back of that yeah. car, he's he's just getting an amazing ride. But boy, I, you know, yeah, you and I are probably just young enough that maybe our parents had cars with rumble seats. Um, I don't know if you ever ridden in one. I haven't. But boy, I, that just looks like a kick. I I've, I've sat in a rumble seat. It just wasn't moving. It was at a car show, <laughs> so I can I can claim at least that that portion of it. <laughs> You've had a singular stationary rumble. That that's right. Yes, <laughs> it did. It wasn't rumbling when I was sitting in. Let me put it that. Way. But just a just a beautiful scene. I love the I love the morning light catching the catching both cars as they're as they're traveling diagonally across the bean field. Right. And uh, then we see uh, good old Cliff comes over the comes right over the rise uh, in that 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 steep dive in a GB. I mean, which must have been incredible to just the. The feel of of keeping all these low level passes must have been uh, quite a thing to do. Oh no, kidding! As coming in, beating up the cars, it comes right over the trees, and uh, it's really the shot that I love is uh, we see him come over the trees. Then we see the pilot's eye view, or so we're looking back at Cliff. Then we see the pilot's eye view, and we're looking ahead across the cockpit, uh, or just just over the, what would normally be the glare shield of the airplane. Yeah, and he's got the uh, he's got the gauge there right in front of him and he's got it placed right on the car and he's, he's using that gauge just to sight and line up the pass. And I don't know if this is Steve Hinton or Craig Hosking flying at this point. Uh, but you know, one of those two guys is doing it the way he's lined up the angle of the airplane oh, to yeah. make sure he goes right over the top of the cars. And then, then we see the, you know, see the wider shot and, uh, you know, looking up, seeing the bullets flying, all that kind of stuff. It's just, just beautifully constructed. Yeah. I, I just, can't imagine how many passes they must have done to, to get that right. I mean that that one right. shot after we get the POV, the pilot's POV, right? And there's the chase plane, uh, which is probably a helicopter, I would think, uh, as as the plane's flying underneath them. Just quite a quite a quite a shot, and just having having to wait for things like the dust to settle and and all that. And you can see that right. it wasn't the first take, as there's tire tracks in front of. Oh them, sure, so. yeah, they've done this more than once. <laughs> yeah, um, and. I, I forgot to ask what the gauge that you were looking at on the on the hood of the GB is is that uh, just an RPM gauge or what what is it what is it measuring would you think? I'll take. Can you give me one sec? Let me zoom okay. in on here just a little bit. It is. Um, it's either fuel quantity or fuel pressure. Oh, okay. And uh, it that's a little bit. It's a little bit odd. I'd, I'd have to, to be honest, I'd have to go back and look at the uh, the original airplane, and I I will do that. Okay. Um, or will have done it, and uh, uh, see if that's correct for there, or if that's just there for dramatic effect, so that we have something in our field of view, you know, that that shows losing fuel, losing power, or what have you. Yeah. And you know, as I'm, I'm looking at the shot again, I'm not entirely convinced that that's even from uh, from the GB. If that could just be, oh, like uh, some, some kind of like a, just a, a like a construct a in front of the yeah. yeah. Just because I'm, I'm looking at how much how good the view is i you know first i'm complimenting them on you know 
Because if you were going to come buzz those cars, it's exactly what you do as a pilot, where you'd pick a frame of reference in the front of the airplane and sort of plant it squarely on the car and fly right in. But, you know, it's the visibility forward in that airplane is so terrible that uh, that might just be a construct built around a around a helicopter uh, with a camera behind it. Okay, yeah. And yeah. So we're hoping at some point to uh, to connect with Steve Hinton, uh, if not Craig Hosking as well, who've flown in this, and that's going to be a, a big question for them is what they can tell us about how they got that shot because I'm, I'm on the fence to be honest. Okay, yeah, I have to have to have to find out what what that is, but it's just yeah, it's just a fascinating shot and so many tight cuts here to give you the. The uh, the lay of the land. I mean, we go we go from the overhead shot of seeing uh you know seeing the plane making the pass. Then we see Lenny in the back raising his uh raising his Tommy gun, right. Back to the POV inside uh, inside the plane, and he's just shooting at that at the plane as as it passes overhead. Uh, and then we cut to the close up of the cowling, the engine cowling with uh, bullet holes appearing in it. It's, it's very. I mean, you, you could see how this was probably storyboarded extremely carefully, right? To, just to get the the exact shots that they needed. Um. Yeah, and that uh, that angle where we see Lenny shooting up, and uh, you know we're we're underneath him, and you know right on the fender of the car as the airplane goes over, and you see, you know you're watching the shell casings pop out of the Tommy gun. That's just yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and that, that was probably a, that was probably shot shot static with you know he was he was he was just sitting in a parked car shooting right, while somebody was rocking the car, but still it's just a fantastic clip to to move along with. Uh, what they call the Kuleshov effect, where you see things happening, and if you see them in sequence, your brain kind of stitches them all together and say, "Oh, he's shooting at this thing," and you're seeing the the cowling sure. getting struck. Although it, it is it is interesting because it always looked to me like he was shooting in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, it looks like he's like, way way wide of it. Yeah, he's sort of rotating to his left, and it looks like well, if he rotated to his right, he'd be pointed right at the airplane. But yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's a movie. Hey, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not here to pick on this movie. I I love yeah. every lasted second of this movie <laughs> oh yeah well and and now we get to our first uh well the first one i've noticed the first gaff of the movie is where we cut back to uh cliff running the grabbing onto the uh, the stick and the oh, stick right. has suddenly changed color so uh i think this is actually the uh the yellow gb and i think the the earlier one when we first saw them take off as we talked about in an earlier episode the the red top on the on the control stick uh was right. probably i think was from the other model which is the model r i think that was the model the one that we're going to see at the very end of the movie, right, right, and that, and uh, so that one was a uh, was a non-flyable mock-up, but yeah, this yellow one, uh, you know, yellow one obviously very flyable, and uh, and it's interesting that they that there was a little jump like that, and then that same sort of thing, that next, uh, you know, right in line with that control stick, you know, a couple of things here, if you know, if you lose engine power in an airplane like this. It doesn't suddenly start to sort of fly erratically, and this and so the and the whole concept, especially an airplane as twitchy and sensitive as a GB, once he gets both hands on the stick and he's right, yanking it back and forth, he kind of wince because yeah. with just any one of those control movements, he would have just been rolled over and been upside down, and the bean field yeah. of the movie would have ended here at minute, you know, five and a half. Yeah, um, but I, I'd give him a break and say, well, maybe it hit some of the control cables, and he's just trying to figure sure. out which ones of the control cables are no longer active. That's, so yeah, that, that's fair, but boy, those those big movements yeah. and both hands and everything else. But hey, that's, yeah. I believe uh, as somebody once said a moment or two, two ago, it is a movie and yeah. it is trying yeah. to tell a story and it's doing a beautiful job of yeah. it. Yeah, we'll just we'll just rack it up to uh, play in the steering or something. Right, exactly. Great shot with the going between the trees and the, the very you know, the, the close up, which 
when you have a close-up in a, in a film, it limits the uh, information. So you're just right. seeing, all you're doing is you're focused on the plane, and you're watching those big plumes of uh, gas gasoline smoke coming out of the back, and and all that, you know, that almost cartoon-like sound of engine you know, engine failure that right. <laughs> every yeah. every movie loves that same sound. So this yeah, was, exactly. It's uh, um, it's it's funny, you know. We all know about the Wilhelm scream. Yeah. Um, in a lot of aviation movies, anywhere from the uh, maybe late late 30s, very early 40s uh, on up, you know, sort of indefinitely, almost any time you see an airplane diving, like in particular if it's going to crash, you hear this this roaring wailing sound, and that's uh, that's a, a siren from a Stuka dive bomber, the German dive bombers. It's really the only airplane that ever made that sound when it was diving, and it was a purely a psychological thing. And we're not hearing it here in this minute, and I don't believe that Johnston ever used it, uh, as, as I recall, but we'll see if I'm wrong in later uh, minutes. Cool. But uh, anyway, almost every aviation movie, you'll hear this <laughs> noise, and it means the airplane's crashing. We're all attuned that that's what it means, except it's just you know it's just a Hollywood sound effect. It's well, yeah, a, to well, me, it's, you have every pilot is trained on the checklist of crashing that they have to turn on the <laughs> that noise. Right. Yes, turn on the crashing no. siren. That's that's <laughs> step number one. You mentioned that shot looking between the trees. Uh, you know, we've, as you say, we go to from a couple of close-ups, then we've got it tearing along. It's trailing that thick white smoke, uh, which they get just by it's a uh, it's a form of mineral oil. You eject straight into the hot exhaust of the airplane. It just it just oh. turns on the smoke. That's what airshow pilots use. Wonderful sense of of motion and movement. And you know, as somebody who's not a filmmaker in any way, shape, or form, you'd be tempted to say, "Well, we need to move because these trees are going to be our, in our way." But it's it's perfect. That shot would be nowhere near as good without the trees passing by in the foreground and giving us that relatable sense of motion. Yeah, it, it, it very it's very much a subjective we, we're not omniscient, so we, we are kind of like trying to follow what's going on with poor Cliff and we're trying to watch him through the trees so right. it heightens our interest in the uh, the center of motion there, which is which is the GB. So exactly. Then we're back down on the ground. They're driving through some uh, what look like uh, to me they look like shagbark oak. I may be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know California trees that well, but uh, it's a nice. Tra you know, you don't typically see a lot of chases in on dirt roads in in movies. I I don't recall many. I mean, maybe back right. in the day, Bonnie and Clyde. I can think of a couple of dirt road ones, but that that sure. was uh, topical for the time. It's very contemporary, so it's an it's nice seeing these big old giant pieces of metal flying through uh, dirt roads trying, trying to get out of the way. And uh, that that cutting back and forth between the turmoil on the ground and the turmoil in the air. I, I find it interesting that when, when we cut back to the GB, everything is coated with oil except for the uh, canopy. So it's kind of... Right. And that first, yeah, that first shot, it's all everywhere we see from the outside. There's some streaks all over the place, you know, they've been painted on. But yeah, exactly. Then then we, we look back and there's the, there's the cockpit and there's Cliff with his goggles, but no yeah. oil yet. No, no, but it's just, you know, it, it'll be coming for uh, for continuity purposes. We're going to start seeing more oil. That must have been something in the fall in the, that scene that they had shot in, you know, with, with him in the back of the of the plane, uh, the, the, the Waco going uh, <laughs> with, I guess somebody was standing in front throwing oil on top of it or they had the, I, they had a, a, a squirt, a big squirt bottle or something. <laughs> yeah. A pump of some kind. It's, I mean, it's actually, uh, you know, except for the, the minor sort of the continuity hiccups, we probably should have seen more of it on there soon, sooner, but it's actually pretty convincing and I, you know i've never had a catastrophic failure or anything like that where i was leaking that much oil but i've certainly talked to pilots who have and and uh you know 
if the engines are the right place and those radial engines like on that uh on that gbz you know they're they're measuring oil burn per hour like in the half gallon range wow so there's lots and lots of oil in these airplanes so so absolutely if if you're Tommy gun hits it in the wrong spot and you start spraying oil, you're going to get a get a ton of it all over that airplane. Now, I am not I am not a radial engine expert, but aren't the I I, th- I thought the radials are mostly air cooled, so I don't, I'm not sure how much that would affect uh temperature as, you know, if you were losing oil. Sure. So yeah, in this case the the, yeah, the radial is the radial is air cooled. Um but uh you know, but certainly of course the you know, the oil itself is providing some cooling, but most of it is just the fact that you know, all of the cylinders are exposed in the front of that cowling, so it's just the wind coming straight on through the prop, and of course the blast from the prop itself that provides that uh, provides that cooling. While we're watching as as the minutes finishing up, we're watching them driving through the through the trees at the edge of the at the edge of the bean field, and uh, we're getting more of the uh, the byplay between uh, Woolley and Fitz. Um, I you know you you get the feeling I, I I do like the way that they they do seem to have a. Uh, a rapport. I mean, this is going on. Uh, Fish, Fish is talking about how it's the third car that they've gone through with Hoover in a, in a, in a month. Right. So, which is why they have a 1938. Uh, they're driving a 1938 Ford because apparently the 37, 36 ones are probably <laughs> long gone in the mud. Exactly. Well, and it's a nice little bit of extra reinforcement that if it wasn't clear, you know, these are FBI agents. And just, you know, we throw in, uh, throw in a reference to Hoover. You know, I always wondered about, you know, Willie comes back with, ah, the heck with Hoover. You know, yeah. and 30 years later, Hoover would probably have been listening. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably yeah. Probably wouldn't I, have been I, happy about that I, comment. I, I, but I think, yeah, Woolley would technology have been, wasn't yeah. there. And, and this was, uh, we haven't talked about this before, but uh, but Hoover was uh, was really big uh, from the early 30s into the 40s uh, dealing with saboteurs that we didn't, that, that really wasn't well known at the time, that, that they were dealing with a lot of uh, right. German infiltration. And it would come out later in uh, in the early 40s. There were there were U-boats pulling up in Long Island and in Florida and, you know, offloading uh, American-born but uh, German ancestried um, saboteurs to, you know, that were trained in uh, in explos- explosives and, and, and different things like that and, and basic, you know, surveillance and stuff. It makes you wonder if any of those people ended up in Hollywood yeah. as an as an actor, perhaps. <laughs> well, we'll we'll find we'll, out about that later. And yeah, that. we'll talk about see, that later in later minutes. But it, it is pretty amazing, and and as I understand it, what you're talking about there, that work with the saboteurs and things, I I believe, and I could be mistaken, but um, you know, Hoover was instrumental uh, in creating the FBI. He started as the director of the Bureau of Investigation in like 1924 or 25, something like that, and then created the FBI in 35. So about three years before this picture uh, takes place, and. Uh, um, and I, I think it, that seems early to be worrying about uh, specifically about some European saboteurs, but but you know that he was he was looking for that stuff. Yeah, and, he, uh, he was very involved in racketeering, and you know after after prohibition went away about you know six years before this, or not even that four years before this, he you know he, he had been getting more involved in racketeering and organized crime, and I think that's where he started getting into more stuff where interna- the international aspects of it. I mean, not just. You know, from Europe, but from Canada, Mexico, and things like that. He was looking at uh, infiltration and and right. uh, and counter counterattacks against. You know, he was he was in supposedly an investigative bureau, but he was more like an anti racketeer. He was actually a police force that would work on all these other things. So it's a, uh, 
you know, this, this is kind of, it's not the height of, of Hoover's influence, but he uh, it definitely on the rise. And uh, just having guys, you know, a team of guys like this that would be tracking down saboteurs like the, the folks in front of him, even though the guys in front of him, as we'll find out later, are not German saboteurs. They're just, you know, mostly hired muscle. Right. Um, but and, uh, when I okay. I feel sorry for the uh, for the LAPD in this uh, in this segment too. They, um, you know, they're involved in this great chase, but they don't really get to, <laughs> they don't really get to do very much. Yeah, a little bit. Um, they're, they're a little bit out of their league in, in all the stuff going on here. Right. You know, these guys are just local crooks mostly. Um, yeah. But a lot of a lot of missed shots. I, I mean, it, it, we see Wilmer get get you know his hat blown off and stuff like that. But right. So shots that are really close. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, a, a few careers uh, ago, I was uh, I was in law enforcement for several years. I was a small town cop in a little city in Washington, and it was interesting. We did a lot of practice uh, uh, qualifying with various weapons and things like that. Um, and trying to shoot from a car is is a lot harder than it looks. Um, and, you know, even, even a stationary car with a, with a moving target, much less two moving cars. So, you know, so I'm looking at this and saying, boy, that, uh, that shot where you shot his head off, that was just blind, blind luck. That was yeah. not a warning shot or yeah, anything that's, else. That's, that's up there with Brownie in motion. It's like, eventually, <laughs> you're gonna, yes. yeah, you don't, uh, I guess you, you, uh, miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So there, that, 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 exactly. that could be climbing in. Um, and we're, we're just finishing up the minute with, we're back to the, uh, uh cliff's eye view, or not the cliff's eye view, but the uh, propeller's eye view of cliff. And uh, unfortunately for Blu-ray, you can kind of see exactly where the cutout is going to happen for the, for that right. uh, obstructed. Oil makes a great outline when it when it hits the uh, the cuts on a on a piece of plexiglass. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does give us a hint of what's about to happen. I think right uh, right in the next minute, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll check cool. back on that for Tuesday, and it's a good thing that Cliff has his goggles on because he's going to need them very shortly. <laughs> but let's yeah, let's pick this up tomorrow and, and talk a bit more on uh, as as we're watching Cliff with his now wounded GB and uh, see if we're the intersection of uh, of cr- criminality. Well, more than just the bullets that are hitting the the intersection of crime and and aeronautics comes comes up tomorrow. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us here on, on our Monday show. And please stay with us the rest of the week. Uh, if you want to pick up the conversation here, we've got it a multitude of places. You can go to uh, Twitter, find us at uh, Rocketeer Minute. You can find us on Facebook at the Bulldog Cafe, where we get together and talk about the Rocketeer's Bulldog Cafe. Uh, all the all these episodes, things to come, and, and all all things 1938, and of course, there's a great big website, uh, RocketeerMinute.com, where we have links to uh, places you can buy on Amazon. You can get a copy. And if you haven't seen this movie, we're really early in this thing, so come on and it's it's only 109 minutes long. You can sit down and watch it a little bit more over an hour and a half. You'll get the whole drift of this film. It's a great Disney film, and you'll understand what we're talking about when we're going through all these things. So uh, uh, check back with us here tomorrow, uh, and uh, and we'll see what's going to happen with uh, Cliffy and his poor plane. Now, you've probably noticed that the sound bed music hasn't been coming up underneath my voice as we're doing this stuff, but uh, Hal and I decided to let you hear a little bit more of it. Uh, Tom Geyer, who was on our episode three and uh, talked a lot about the music of James Horner, wrote us a very nice uh, exit music, and I keep feeling bad every day we talk that we're drowning out his great music. He did this uh, beautiful version of the uh, James Horner uh, To the Rescue score in 6-8 time, and uh, it's real peppy, and uh, it's just amazing, and just really shows off his uh, skill set. So why don't I just uh, let Tom play us out here, and, uh, and you can enjoy his music for the next 56 seconds. So until next time. 
over and out. 